Welcome to the Change Book Podcast. My name is Rachel Best, and this is our co-host. I'm Nicole Harvick. And this is the Change Book Series. It is the fastest growing self-empowerment book series on the planet. This spans over 30 countries, and we now bring them all together in a powerful podcast destined to change people from all corners of the globe. So go ahead and grab your pen and paper because our guest today is going to share a lot of amazing tips and inspiration that you're definitely going to want to write down. Hello, everybody, and welcome today to the Change Book Podcast. I'm Nicole Harvick. And I'm Rachel Best. And we have an amazing guest today. We always have amazing guests and it just it just keeps getting better. It's, it's so fun to do this. This is Dr. Karen Kramer, and she is an author in book 19 of the series. And I'm really intrigued by her title. It's Good Grief, Death, Divorce and Other Losses. So I'm definitely going to have to read that one. She's also an NLP mindset coach. So, Karen, welcome today. Well, I, it, I'm happy to be here. Thank you, Nicole. Thank you, Rachel. So l- let's talk about your chapter in the book. Tell us a little bit about that. I'm really, I love, the good grief really has me intrigued. So tell us about that. Well, I will start with the title because it is a takeoff on the book that I'm currently writing now. So obviously this was a chapter, but it was a summary of the book and the book title has changed to healthy grief, normalizing and navigating loss in a culture of toxic positivity. So let's talk about good grief, grief being all of us experience grief one way or the other. I don't know about you, but at some point in time, we're going to experience death. Anybody in here experience, you know, one Unfortunately, yes. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, yes. We're not going to last forever. And so when we think about, well, let me start off with this way. When somebody says, like, if you have a passing, for example, my mother passed away a year and a half ago, a typical response to that might be what? Sadness, anger, the, you know, the, sen- the huge sense of loss. Yes, on my end, yes. And that's in the book. I also talk about that process. And in other people responding to me, and it's typically one of those like, oh, I'm sorry for your loss, which is a typical response, right? And then after that, again, face to face, because there's a lot of like Facebook and social media, like, hey, I have a passing and responding, but I'm talking about face to face. The usual response right after that is like, oh, so how about that? team or, you know, changing the subject. And in other words, it is uncomfortable, traditionally uncomfortable to talk about grief, whether it's amongst strangers or not. So the concept behind good grief is around talking about it, but it's a process with everybody and not just going through the grief process by ourselves, isolated thinking we're the only one, we're the only one, Nicole, to your point about feeling sad and frustrated and angry and all those emotions that may come from it, but also how do we engage with other people so they feel comfortable and having a conversation with us about our grief or vice versa, having conversation with somebody else 
about their grief. And I talk about various different types of grief. And again, divorce is another type of grief, but there's other type of grief that's out there. But the basic premise is normalizing those conversations and being able to help others as well as help us ourselves through that process. Yeah. That's so interesting. And, and it's funny that you, you mentioned that because I actually had a stillbirth um, 20 years ago. And two days later, I, I had promised I'd take my seven-year-old to her birthday party and I kept my word. And everybody knew that I had lost the baby in those two days. Not one person asked me about it, asked me anything, acknowledged it in any way. And that, that surprised me because I wanted to talk about her. I wanted to talk about it because it, it, it was real and it happened. I couldn't believe it happened to me, but it did. And no one, no one mentioned her, not one person. It was really, it, it, it kind of made me look at things different all of a sudden. It's like, why, why aren't we having those conversations or what, you know, what, 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 why are we holding back from consoling someone? Mm -hmm. And that, that was, that was a first for me. And I, I know I still, to this day, really, I don't understand it. Do you, I'm sure you have, you could help me understand that. People don't know how to respond. It's easier to avoid, distract, um, pretend that everything's okay. And again, thinking about the topic of my book is toxic positivity. It's the idea of like, we don't know how to handle things when things aren't happy, light, fluffy. It's a birthday party. We're supposed to be happy. And also people don't know how to respond to you. They don't know if they bring it up, if it's something that's going to shut you down. They don't know whether it is something you want to talk about or not. So the assumption is, especially since it was only two days afterwards, is, well, I don't know, we're in a public environment, so I'm just going to ignore it. And to a point that you just made, Nicole, is those of us who are going through grief, there's this tendency to isolate for various different reasons, whether it's divorce, embarrassment, death, whatever it might be. And again, this depends upon the type of grief, but isolate in a way that we shouldn't. So yesterday, as an example, I noticed on a Facebook post that a new client of mine posted about a good friend of hers that just passed away. So I immediately reached out to her to let her know I saw the post and was thinking about her. And she was gracious. She goes, thank you so much for reaching out. Like not too many people would do that beyond just making a comment on Facebook, like reaching out. And my next comment to her was tell me about her. What did you like about her? What drew you like getting her to engage in the positivity around what it was like to why were you drawn to her? What it made a good friend? So People don't know how to respond. And that's one thing I found with, with, with death and grief is around at least engaging and letting that person know I'm here. Like if you're ready to talk, I'm here to share, whether it's by text message, whether it's by phone, whether it's face-to-face, -face, I'm here to hear you. But I start off usually by just saying like, what did you like about that? Now, when there is, like you say, when there is, there is a, and I'm going to pass this over to you, Nicole, to see your response. Think about it in that situation. You and I are in that birthday party. It's two days after that event. And I walk up to you. What would you have liked to hear from somebody, from somebody like me at that birthday party? What would have supported you? 
you know, when I think about that, probably just someone acknowledging that it happened and asking if there's anything they could do for me. I mean, pr pretty simple, I know, but yeah, that would be it. Yeah, it doesn't need to be this long drawn out. It just acknowledging, to your point, acknowledging that it had happened rather than ignoring it. Like you're the elephant in the room. The elephant in the room, something happened and everybody's like tiptoeing around you. That's the worst feeling. Like, you know, there's something in there, but it's like, how do you engage with people around that um, and make them feel comfortable also in asking you? And it could be something as simple as I acknowledge that. What can I do? Thank you, Nicole. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. And you know, I, as as I look back now that I, when I realized that after I had lost her, and people sent cards and brought food for about a week, and then it was done. It was just it was just done, and it was so weird. You know, no one ever came around after that. Really, I mean, we were still friends and everything. But it's like, I wanted to talk about her because she had been in me nine months, you know, yeah. and had plans for her. I, that was my second girl that I wanted, mm -hmm. you know, and I, I eventually got my third. But it, it's really when you talk about good grief, that's kind of a play on words, isn't it? Then it should be healthy grief, you know. Yes, that's why the book is called Healthy Grief. But it's intended when talking about good grief, it's kind of an oxymoron. But it, by intention is to think about, wow, grief, you mean it can be good? You mean it can be healthy? Yeah. So we've been thinking about for what you went through, Nicole, is thinking about how to, or I'm saying you, but for all of us, how can we also make it comfortable for other people to engage with us? For example, as I mentioned, my mom passed away a year and a half ago. And what I found was I would typically say this. And also I'm saying it fast because this is the way I'd typically say it is my mom passed away um, a year and a half ago at 97 years young. She was ready to go. She lived a wonderful life. And I say it with a smile on my face. I found that way it allows people to know that there's a passing that I'm at ease and I'm okay about this. And it opens up that door of conversation. It's a complete shift for people when they can feel our energy that it's open and engaging, like open hands to say, yes, ask me questions, engage with me about this. Hey, that's a different energy. And granted, in my case, it was a passing that I also talk about in the book is when you have a grief that's coming like that like a passing and you know that it's going to happen, how can you healthfully prepare for that as well as healthfully go through the process of grief? So I talk about that process as well. Yeah. Well, those are some things I've never thought about. Have you, Rachel, you know, to be open, honest and just approach them. I would have never thought of that. Yeah. I, I wrote a lot of little notes down because being on the opposite side of that, you know, I've had loss also, but um, that, not knowing what to say to people and you bring up such a great point karen that people do just either i mean i always say i'm so sorry for your loss but then yeah i'm like oh what else do i say so now having having a couple different things 
to say to people, to let them know that, hey, I'm here. Hey, I see you. If you need anything, just let me know. And then to give them that comfort and not just avoid, you know, Nicole, you bring up a good point of, you know, how that made you feel when they just completely ignored and acted as if nothing happened. And so this is a great conversation. I really appreciate that. Good. Thank you. You know what I love, Karen, when you said you said it with a smile on your face and your mom was what, 97 years young? Young. Yeah. And and that that just kind of breathes a new life into the whole situation. And I've never Mm -hmm. thought of that. So, yeah, that's that's a great thing to say. You know, when I lost my mom, I didn't you're kind of just mired in what you've been conditioned to do, I guess. And that to say it that way is telling everyone she had a good life. She had a great life. You know, I miss her, but I'm so happy that, you know, 97 years, that's a long time. Yeah. And, and recognizing that I'm at a place where I can say that. So the other thing about grief is when we're not like, for example, Nicole being two days after the, the passing of your dear child, there is that period where you may not be able to a, a traditional person, let's leave it that way. Cause Nicole, I can't say this is you or not, but, but when we've had a traumatic loss, you may not be that at that place where like, yes, you know, all cheery and helpful. Um, My point was, if you are at the point where, yes, I'm open to engaging with you about a conversation, our nonverbals, I'm doing this for a purpose, our nonverbals show a lot to other people that, yes, I welcome those conversations. And even to the point of, um, and Rachel, you emphasize this as well, Nicole, you mentioned this, even to the point of saying, hey, yes, I, um, what can you say to somebody like, hey, I'm sorry for your loss. What can I do? going another step to say, can I bring you food? Can I bring you grocery shop? Can I come and can I take the kids? Can I um, help clean up the house? I remember after my mom passed, my friend, she now actually does Instacart. So she got, got into this. But before that, she said, I'm going to the grocery store. I'm going to buy you food. If you do not respond, this is by text message. If you do not respond in the next 30 minutes, I'm going to buy what I think you need. <laughs> And I, because at my first response was, oh, no, you don't need to do that. And actually in my book, I talk about that is accept, accept that support. Again, when we're in the, in the situation of grieving about something, we, again, we tend to isolate, tend to, including like if, if, if we're, and this gets into our personality, if we're like me, who I'm like, no, 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 that's okay. That's, I don't want to burden you by, by, you know, helping me through this grief. That's what I was doing with my friend. And she finally, because she's a really good friend, she's like, no, I'm going to the store. I am buying something for you. I had another friend when I was sick. She didn't even ask. She just brought me some groceries. Here's some soup. Here's some bread. You know, it's those type of people who actually take the next step, too. So I want to say that one thing is acknowledging that grief. I'm sorry. What can I do for you? And also being proactive about what you think that person needs. And being there to offer it, or even I was reading a recent book that said um, somebody had just actually they had lost a child that was in the book. And she said, I'm going to be here tomorrow morning with coffee. We're going for a walk. It's like not even because when somebody's right in the middle of the grief, they're shocked, they're numb. They can't even tell you this is what I need. 
So even taking that next step and being proactive about what you think that person needs and offer it and be there because that person can just say, no, (laughs) no, I don't want the coffee. No, I don't want the groceries. No, don't take my kids for a day. No, don't clean my house. You know, they can say no, but given that opportunity to say no, when they may not even be in a state of thinking what they do need at that time. Interesting. And, you know, you brought something up, you know, we're, we have this tendency to say, no, I'm okay. Or no, don't bring it. I don't need anything. Is that conditioning or what are we, where is that coming from in us that we initially will turn things down when people offer help? Oh, there's so many things underneath that. And being in the world of NLP, I'm sure you know, is subconsciously what's behind that, whether it is this sense of, no, I don't want to burden people or I don't want to be a burden to people. I can do it myself. I'm embarrassed if other people help me. I mean, there's multiple different reasons as to why somebody may say or do that. So I, I there's multiple different reasons. I would say the first thing is to acknowledge it just to acknowledge it. And if that's a tendency, and again, I'm that person who I don't want to burden other people know that that's my tendency, that to know that, that during this period of time, here's an opportunity where people want to help. They want to feel like they are there for me. And so it's my opportunity to shine light on them by just being there to support me. Again, thinking about other people. You're allowing other people to step up and help you and honor you when you're going through grief. Wow. That's amazing. I know, I know my sister, um, she lost her husband. This has been several years ago now. And it was the day after her birthday. And he just had a heart attack and, and passed. And she, I remember her saying that she didn't know what to do. And she just wanted somebody to just tell me what to do because I don't know what to do. And because there, she was just in such a state of confusion and just loss and grief and all the emotions. She's like, I don't know what I need. I don't know what I need to do. Tell me what to do and I'll do it. She just needed somebody to direct her because she was so at a loss at that point. And I talk about that, Rachel, in my book as well. It's intended, not just the chapter, but the actual book I'm working on. It's intended to be a roadmap a roadmap to be able to help people who are going through grief or something that you can use to help other people through grief. And it's a combination of two different models that I have used over the course of the last 30 years with not only my individual clients, but my executive clients as well. For example, one thing is just a simple model and thinking about when something happens like the death of a husband, loss of a baby, a loss of a mother, there's an ending of something. Something we once knew is no longer. What once was is no longer. So there's an ending. And then there's a neutral zone about we're just not quite sure what's going on, what's going to happen, how are people responding to us? Like we're in that neutral zone where to your point, Rachel, it's like, yes, I need some guidance because I'm just not quite sure. And that will eventually lead to the new beginning. This is based off of um, William Bridges model of managing transition, but this going from an ending of something neutral zone to the new normal of beginning something new. And also recognizing that we're going through various different emotions too. Most people are familiar with Dr. Elizabeth Kubler-Ross and the five stages of grief. 
And there's also some conflicts around those in the profession around her stages of grief. But I like to describe it this way. And it's a simple model to think about when we are experiencing something where, again, what once was is no longer and we're having some negative emotional response to it. And it's referred to as Sarah. So S-A-R-A-H. So I'm going to briefly for this describe it. Usually when I'm presenting it, I ask for the names of some of those, but it's easy because there's various different names associated with them. So think about the emotion. And this is a dip of emotion. S first being that shock or that surprise. So Rachel, to your point is like, yes, your sister probably was just in shock, numb, like, I don't know, just tell me what to do. That is a common response, initial response to something. Again, you've just heard, you've just had an experience of a loss, you've just heard of a death, um, your loved one just walked out, what, whatever that loss is, right? Loss of money, being let go from an organization, it's all these various different types of losses. So shock. The second could be anger. Now I say could be because it could be various different things, but going into now you've come out of that shock could be anger. It could be anxiety. There could be other words, but the A for Sarah, the second A, then it's kind of leading into R is at the bottom in the model. It's resistance, but it could be like the denial, like this is not happening, or I just am resisting against pushing against, which another R word could be rage. So going from anger to rage or um, what a recent client mentioned, just rock bottom. I've hit rock bottom in my emotions. And then from there, the next A is acceptance. It doesn't mean that, hey, I've accepted and owned and completely understand the grief, the loss, the whatever just happened. But I'm accepting that this has happened in my life. Like you're moving towards that last H, which is healing, which also can stand for hope. Um, or help. It's that healing. So those five stages, again, are shock, anger, resistance, acceptance, and healing. And I use that as a model to talk about the process that we may go through. Again, thinking about for ourselves or how we may help other people. And how I merge those into it is a model that is called healthy grief. I was walking in the shower here about a month ago and I'm like, what's an easy acronym like Sarah, like I just mentioned, what's an easy acronym to truly help people process through the emotion? And I walked out of the shower. I'm like, grief, grief. It's a five letter word, grief. So I merged those two models. And again, those models are things that I've used in the corporate world as well as one-on-one -on -one with clients. So if we think about grief, G. G is gather. We gather the information. We just found out about the loss, the event, the um, um, the end of a marriage or a breakup or um, being let go from an organization or a diagnosis, health diagnosis, whatever it is. Gather is more the head. It's we've just found out about the information. And again, the emotion associated with that can be shock. OK, numb shock. We just found out about it. The second one. R is for relate, which is the heart of it, relating to the emotion, relating an emotion for other people, for ourselves, 
or Nicole, like going to that birthday party to acknowledge that there's some emotion that's there, your end, other people to acknowledge it and to recognize that it is, there could be various different emotions. They can be going into the anger stage or anxiety or apprehension, maybe even into the resistance rage, whatever it is for them, just to acknowledge on our own or other people that there is a flow of emotions and we're, they're going to be going through that at various different stages. And then I, of the grief model, is around involved. So I likely talk about this from thinking about COVID. COVID was another grief, like it shook us up. We couldn't do some of the things that we were able to do before. And there's some tragedy that came out of it, like people who weren't able to see their loved ones who may have gone to the hospital and all of this, right? So involve is around taking action. It's your feet. It's taking action, which in some cases could be something as simple as setting a routine about getting out of bed in the morning, taking a shower, changing clothes, eating. Like it could be something simple, like just taking some simple steps to move out of that shock, that situation that's going on. And then involve might also get involved in other tasks like planning for a funeral or going to the lawyer or whatever that next step might be. So involve is the action step of it. And ease for E of the grief model is around to ease yourself by asking for the help. It's the hands. It's the help that you might need. The informal help, such as the neighbor who wants to offer the grocery shopping to the formal help, which could be that therapist or it could be a lawyer or whatever might be involved in that. So both informal and formal help to be able to know you're not going to do this all by yourself. You're not isolated. You're not the only one to really help other people ease that process by asking for support. And the last one, F, which is focus. So focusing eyes, focusing on what that new normal might look like. Like if it is grandma's passed away and we typically had our holiday meals at grandma's house with grandma making the special apple pie that's been passed down for generations to generations, like whatever those traditions are, it's like thinking about what are the new traditions? What are the new normals? Where are we going to have these holiday gatherings? Is somebody going to make grandma's famous apple pie or is there going to be another meal that we make? Or if you're going through a divorce, what does it look like for the kids to go back and forth? What's the new normal look like for us? So that's an overview of that grief model, Rachel, to your point, which is kind of a map to help individuals when they're like, I, I don't know what to do. Yeah. Wow. You know, when you described Sarah, that really reminded me of how I felt through my divorce. Is that applicable? Oh, yes. Okay. Yeah. And again, divorce is another grief. That's the reason why good grief starting off with death, because most of us are going to experience one way or another a death. And so we can talk about it and understand grief, but there's all different kinds of grief. Divorce is another one. Again, loss of a, of a, of um, a job, um, especially for let go, uh, loss of finances. So think about going through an economic downturn, uh, loss of finances, um, even going to, and it could be on the minor side of it, meaning minor, there's all different kinds of, of grief. But even for a child going from, say, elementary school to middle school, middle school to high school, high school to college, college to looking for a job, there could be a grief in that. Empty nesters, okay, a grief. 
So yeah, yeah, uh, me too. So I'm thinking about it. When what was is no longer, and you have some kind of negative emotional response to that, that's what I'm referring to as grief. When what once was is no longer, and you're having a negative emotional response. That's great. interesting. And, you know, when you talk about empty nester, you know, I, my oldest is going to be 29 and she just moved out a little bit ago. So I've had kids for 29 years and it's like, I love being alone, but I'm looking back at all the things we did together for so many years. And it was just, you know, you, you got up and I would, what do you guys want to do today? Where do you want to go? What, you know, what, what's on the agenda? Do we have volleyball? Do we have dance? Do we have drums? What, what is it? And now it's like, you look back at it and while you were doing it, you were so involved, you didn't think about it. And now it's like, dang, I miss those days. Mm -hmm. And one of the chapters that I am working on, I'm trying to figure out if I want to make it a separate chapter, but this is really important for us is almost that loss of identity in a way. So it's who am I when am I, you know, how am I a mother when my kids have gone off when I used to have this routine of all the things I used to do for them, right? Who, who am I now? And we may go through that even when we have a death or even loss of a career or something. And especially both of you nodded. Both oh, you're Rachel, like, Rachel, her heads are bobbing, like little bobbleheads. <laughs> I I hate to say, and, and I hesitate to say that it's more for women and men, because I think it's for men as well. I think for women, this is just me personally, for women, we identify and acknowledge it more. So that's why I'm sensing it's for us. And there is a book, actually, I have it here. I have, I have tons of books around me because I'm in the process of writing a book. This is one of my favorite books. The, the more myth my the myth of normal. Interesting. Yes. I love that title. One of the things I love it too. So in the in the subtitle, and and this is actually influencing the title of my book too, is trauma, illness, and healing in a toxic culture. Mm. In one of the chapters he has, and he actually has it in the podcast too, because he's a good podcaster, is I'm going to butcher the term, but he basically says a loss of identity leads to pathology. So Ooh. as a physician, um, he's a lot a uh, Hungarian Canadian in his seventies, retired physician. That's his background. Um, Holocaust, Holocaust survivor, kind of the background, but as a child. Uh, so he was finding that there was a number of women who were coming in, who were having a lot of immune disease disorder. So rheumatoid arthritis to MS. And he was as a kind of a researcher mind, he's like, there's something here. Why are all these women coming in with various different autoimmune disorders, diseases? And so he started asking the women what was going on in their life. And what he backed into was these women had some form of loss of identity, went through a divorce. Well, who am I now that I'm not married? Um, empty nester went on and on and on. So this whole idea he came to is this disconnection from my identity, who I am, is breaking down our body and leading to ailments in our body. And there actually is a term, Jim Lutz actually turned me on to the term when I was referencing this. And it is psychoneuroimmunology. 
psychoneuroimmunology. So if you break Write that down, down Rachel. We got to look that up. It yeah. is. So psycho mind neuro the body and in immune the um, immune system and ology just means the study of. So it basically is the body of work that I've been studying, even if um, other books I'm looking at it here. Do I have it? I don't. Where is it? Um, another book is The Body Keeps the Score. I know, Nicole, you and I talked about some of this. The yes. Body Keeps the Score talks about it, too. So those two books talk about um, basically the combination between what goes on in our minds, even at our subconscious or unconscious level, how it settles in our body and can break down our immune system. So here's why this is important. And I'll start off with this. Back in 2012, I had one of those days where I basically was screaming and yelling at my husband and my kids and cussing out my brothers and my mom, which, by the way, is not my norm. <laughs> okay, I had one of those days. Any of you have one of those days? Just like I broke down. I'm <laughs> like, OK, good. I'm not the only we one. We all do. I broke down on that day. And after about like, you know, an hour or two of the aftermath, I sat back and I'm like, oh, my God, what the heck just happened? Like what alien took over my body? And I and my my family is like, you know, tiptoeing around me and I'm ignoring calls from the family. And so I took it upon myself and I went to see a therapist and I walked out of this therapy session being diagnosed with situational anxiety. Yay, what the heck is that? So <laughs> didn't help me. She felt good because she got to check a box and write down some information in my profile. Didn't help me. Then I thought, well, maybe, and this is, I was in my early 40s at this time. So I thought, well, maybe I'm going through early menopause. So I went to my doctor and within two minutes of describing to my doctor that day and what led up to that day, which I did the same thing in therapy, my doctor wanted to prescribe me with hormonal drugs. In fact, was ready to like stick some whatever in my arm, implant something or other that day. So I walked out of those experiences and I'm like, okay, I'm being labeled by a therapist. I'm being prescribed to drugs by a doctor. And by the way, I still can't find the, the other book, but I mean, that's what the myth of normal and body keeps a score talks about is that the typical way to respond to some of these things is like labeling and prescribing drugs, but yes. it just numbs us out. I mean, talk about like the DSM labeling, hey, you're bipolar because you have these criteria, boom, let's label you with bipolar. Oh, and you have bipolar, let's give you these drugs. And then you're on these drugs because forever because you can't go off of them, right? And it just numbs you out. And I don't know the statistics because they're all over the place, but think about how many people walk into a doctor or a therapist just because they're going through something and they get labeled and drugged and that's it. That's it. So I'll tell you more about that day because it really is the premise behind why I write this book. On that day, I had just put my 16 year old beloved cat to sleep. I had to make that decision to put that cat to sleep. It was a month after my 90 year old father had passed away. I was going through grief. Yeah, I was going through grief. I had I was like 
one of those where I wasn't healthfully going through it. And in other words, I was like trying to like, I was the one who was handling everything. I'm the trustee. I'm taking care of the finances. I'm taking care of everything. I'm planning the celebration of life, blah, blah, blah. And it wasn't until I had to put my cat to sleep that I was still kind of talking about Sarah. I was still kind of not so much in shock. I was just kind of avoiding what was going on. So you can say shock. And in other words, I was just numbed out by the emotions. I wasn't hitting any of the emotions, just kind of going by um, just like day to day, like holding it together. And when I had to put my cat to sleep, I started to like go into that anger stage. I started to like feel the emotions that were coming up. And I had come home that day to call my mom to let her know that I had just put my cat to sleep. And before I told her that she had informed me something about some dynamic that was going on with my brother and his wife, who didn't want his ex-wife to be there at celebration of life type thing. And so my, my other brother and mom made a decision about not inviting this other person, which in a normal situation would have irritated me, but I would have like, okay, well, let's move on and let's just deal with it. So it was like something minor, but it was just the straw that broke this camel's back. And I just like unleashed that second A into like anger to rage really quickly that it really didn't have much to do about that. It was just unleashing all this grief that was so pent up. And so when I reflect back on that period of time and why I have this book, why I'm doing uh, women's retreats, why I'm speaking on this topic is that we're in a culture that is just like, hey, like even the therapist, I told the therapist what was going on. I even told the doctor all of what I just shared with you that led up to that. But still, I walked out being labeled and shoved drugs. It's like this whole culture that basically says we're uncomfortable with you not being OK. So it's easier for us to just label you and prescribe you drugs. Or even after that, that being labeled and prescribed drugs, I went to one of those fancy destination spas. You know, you go away for a good seven days, exercise, eat good food, get massages, facials, all that. And I did that. And within two hours of returning, I was bickering with my husband again, not about him, but it was about what I was going through. It was just a temporary solution. And I was away for a good seven days, but no one took the time to be able to explore what was going on and underneath. And when I'm working one-on-one -on -one with clients, especially when there's any type of grief, death, divorce, any kind of losses that are there, even childhood traumas, it's let's get down and easily and healthily and then safely release what's underneath that. So you can continue forward without being labeled without having drugs to be able to go on in your normal life. And especially for us as women, we impact so many people, our children. So when I was going through grief, I mean, my kids, I have five kids. My kids were dealing with their own grief about losing grandpa and losing the cat. And then they lost, <laughs> they had a mom and a stepmom who lost her mind, right? It's like, we impact our families in so many different ways when we're not grounded, when we're not healthy, when we're not processing through our own grief. Wow. Karen, you are absolutely fascinating. I, I, I personally, I've learned so much today from this conversation. And Rachel, I want your notes because <laughs> I'm not writing. 
but we are out of time. So I'm going to ask you one question. If someone wanted to be in the Change Series book, what would you tell them about it? Oh, what would I tell them about it? Yeah. Well, what's good about this? I love the fact that it, we are not just authors in a book. We're part of a community. I wouldn't have known you, either of you, Rachel or Nicole, if it wasn't for this community. It's more than just the book. It's the community of people that are in it. And these are movers and shakers. We're all here because we want to look for a change within the world to make the world better. And if we're going to level up, we might as well level up with other change makers who are going to do it. So that's the biggest thing that I take away and I value as being part of this change book. It's not just being an author in a book. It's being part of this community. It absolutely is. Well, thank you so much for being here today. I know I learned a lot. Rachel, I saw you taking notes. Uh, Two pages of notes. That was fantastic. Thank you. (laughs) But I, you know, that's the part that I love so much about this, Rachel, is I learned something from every single guest and it's absolutely amazing. So thank you so much for being here today. I I've absolutely enjoyed you yet again. And uh, we will talk soon. Okay. Thank you, Nicole. Thank you, Rachel. Thank you everyone for joining us today. I'm Nicole Harvick, and this is my co-host, Rachel Best. And we look forward to seeing you again next time.